0: Welcome to Real Indigenous, where we talk about all things on our screen and in between. Uvanga Angela, and I'm here with Tully. And we have a very special guest, a very talented artist, Marley Fixco-Harden.
1: Hinch J, Estongo, Jaho Marley Fixco-Harden, Amalegida, Holdo Amadoa Migasuki. Hello, how are you? My name is Marley Fixco Hardison. I am Seminole, Navajo, and Laguna Pueblo. Uh, my clan is Wind Clan, and I am of the Mikasuki band. Well, welcome to our podcast. Glad to be here.
0: So Thank just a little me. background. Marley and I met on
1: the pilot for Reservation Dogs.
2: And what were you doing on what reservation dogs, Marley?
1: I was a stand-in for Willie Jack. She was so cool. Oh, Ugh, Alexis. Just...
2: Yes. And
1: so yeah, that's how I met Angela. It was at the junkyard. It was the junkyard. Oh my gosh, that's right. And then it was I was so hot. <laughs> it was I always try to uh you had like your uh solar panel charger and you just like try to get it to get the some sunlight <laughs> <laughs> that solar panel charger was the bomb that's
0: really good everybody was so jealous of it and so we had like two other stand-ins and i just remember the I just remember you being all hunkered over in, under a umbrella beating. Yeah, I remember that day.
1: <laughs> well, Those multiple days. <laughs> yeah, I was working on an OSU medallion, my like yes. rainbow umbrella.
0: <laughs> That's right. So you, did you t- remind me, did you go to OSU or were you making it for one of your
1: sorority sisters? Um, I did go to OSU, but I was making it for um, one of my good friends, Jake. And so he was like giving that to him as a gift. And I think that was my first one like that. Yeah, I've made two others. So tell us more about your art, Marley. Um, so I started doing art whenever I was pretty young the first thing I remember really making was like this teddy bear out of like this striped material. It was kind of ugly, but I sewed it like I hand sewed it and then I gave it like button eyes and stuff like that. And it was like the first thing I remember making and I was probably like seven or eight. My grandmother, she used to make things for us all the time, like whatever special interests we had. I feel like uh, acts of service and gifts were like her love language and so she like whatever we we're into she would end up making it for us. I was into magic at one point and so she made me a magic cape, she uh, made me like some shorts for Girl Scouts. Uh, she made like my brother like a little wrestling ring for like his wrestling dolls. Oh my um, gosh
0: how cute.
1: Yeah. And, like, so she, she like, made us blankets and all types of stuff. And she made me my very first, like, seminal dress. And so I think, like, I learned or, like, that creativity kind of, like, rubbed off on me. Because I there was no one else that had made me things like that, like, at that young of an age. She couldn't see very well. And so, like, as she got older, I was, like, treasured more of her stuff. But, like, she influenced me a lot to, like, make things. And a lot of the stuff that I first started making... Um, were normally just gifts, gifts for people I cared about. My first pair of beaded earrings was for one of my sorority sisters. My first medallion that I ever made was for my brother. A lot of my first do go to people I love, and so it's, like, um, pretty interesting. Like, that's, my love language is like acts of service and that's usually how I show it the most is by giving people my time and attention and then giving them gifts that I make because a lot of stuff like energy goes into it like you got to think about like what do you want your design to look like like and then what type of material and then you got to take the time to challenge and challenge yourself to make something a lot of times like you're doing it for the first time. My first medallion, I'm pretty sure it took me over a month <laughs> to make. <laughs> um, but of course, like <laughs> I want it to be done right. And so it takes longer. But I make clothing now, um, jewelry. I have I do some drawing and like a little bit of painting. I just feel like I'm an artistic person and I love how like People can express themselves through art with the clothes that I make. It usually takes me a while because I don't create whenever I'm sad. And as a person who has depression, I am sad a lot of times. So but like whenever I'm like having to make something for someone, I want to be in the best spirits because I want them to have the best inti- intentions and best type of energy from me so that they can wear something with pride. I feel like clothing, especially for like Native people, can give a lot of power. You can feel a lot whenever you're wearing something really special. And like, if you have a favorite outfit and you wear it multiple times to your favorite things, it's like, oh, I know how to wear this and I can wear it this way or that way. And it, you just like, look good, feel good is kind of like my motto in that sense.
0: Agreed. Now, and you've had your work exhibited at First Americans Museum. is there Has
1: there been other fashion shows that you've been in or? Um, yeah, so we, uh, me and one of my best friends, Jessica uh, Rosemary Moore Harjo, um, she owns Uyape Designs. I was a featured artist with her in the First Americans Museum and the grand opening. We had two fashion shows there, and I believe I had four or five items that we made together and designed. Um, We also did a fashion show at the Winter Artist Market, the Tulsa Art uh, at the First Americans Museum. Um, Right now, it's in the Red Earth Museum in Oklahoma City. Um, Two of the pieces that I've made are there, along with art from 12 other Indigenous artists. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thanks. That's
2: exciting. Yeah, that sounds cool. How long does it take you now to make a medallion?
1: Probably between like two and four weeks on the design. It just kind of depends. I've been playing a lot with. I don't know if you don't know anyone who's a, a, a Wichita State fan. I have one of those medallions available too. <laughs> <laughs> but I like to challenge myself also with my designs, and so that's sometimes why it takes longer is because I'm trying new techniques or like I'm trying to figure something out. And if it's not working the way I want it to, then I'm like, I set it down and then I'll like come back and think to it. Kind of like, um, well, I did go to OSU um, for industrial engineering, but um, so I kind of have like this, it's like a problem. And so I'm trying to like look at it, trying to solve it. It's like, oh, well, I can't like, it's the answer's not coming to me. And so I'll like set it down and think about it and then come back to him like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And sometimes like, the best ideas come from that. It's like, just got to take a step away and just look at it and see what it needs or like what direction we, I want it it to go. For instance, this like Wichita State medallion. Um, I put a lot of like thought into like the line work of like the image. And so you can see like the hair, like all like the beads are going one way or like his hands or his like shirt and stuff like that. And so it's, Like, a lot of trial and error, too, and and if something doesn't look right, then I have to undo it. Okay, I'm getting getting
0: plugged in. Hang on. (laughs) All I made really good time, y'all.
2: That's good. That's good. That's good.
1: Glad you're safe. Hey, guess what? It's raining.
2: And where are you at right right now, Marley?
1: I am in Cherokee Nation. I am in Sperry and near Osage Nation. Yeah, I'm originally from Seminole, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, do you have a you have a tiny house, don't you? I do have a tiny house, so living tiny is kind of like less space, less energy. Also, hope to go off grid, and then also like home ownership, because like living tiny have a smaller mortgage <laughs> than like being stuck in for like thirty years or whatnot. So, um, we actually get to pay it off in the next couple of years. And so, and then it's on wheels. And so we can take it wherever with us because like, I think I moved about like nine times before I was like 27. And then of course, like renting that money goes to our landlord. And so like, we wanted to invest into ourselves. I've lived tiny for about four and a half years now. And I love it. Cool. Um, I have to be more intentional intentional about what I buy and also like uh, throughout moving um I've lost stuff that I like like I said like um some of the stuff like my grandmother made or whatnot like I wish I had that mm. and so now as I've gotten older I've learned to take better care of my things and also put them away to like have a space I, don't know. I think like if something doesn't have a place then it's kind of like clutter and mm-hmm. so I try to make sure like everything has a spot where it needs to be. Otherwise I like need to clear it out. And also I feel good whenever everything is clean, like get that green energy, clean vibes. I like it.
0: Can everybody hear me?
1: Yes, yeah. I can hear you. Okay.
0: I'm, a, I'm on a laptop now. So so, do you like, what kind of, in, of media do you like to watch? What kind of movies do you like to watch? Who's your favorite actor director or whatever
1: can i say sterling (laughs) hard yes of course (laughs) i really like reservation dogs um it's so cool to see like native youth on screen and like see all these jokes in this slang that stuff like i grew up with and like like the home that they have for like bear's home and everything like that was my grandmother's home. That was like the home that I grew up with. Um, it's something really nice to see that on the big screen. Um, media. I, and movies, I like all kinds of movies pretty much. I like alien movies. I like sci-fi movies, some horror movies, action movies, romantic comedies. I watch a lot of anime though. That's like my go-to right now. It's my like my happy place because I know what to expect. And also like the music. Uh there's like I feel like music can like really like make a movie or like a series. And so like one of my favorite composers his name is Yuki Hayashi. He does several animes and it's like very uplifting and it just like hits you in the feels and I just I love it.
0: Well, it's good that you like all kinds of media because <clears throat> the movie that we're talking about today is called Night Raiders and I hope you had a chance to watch it.
1: I did. I wrote down notes
0: too. Ooh, notes. Well, I'm going to give a quick synopsis and then we can get into it. A mother joins an underground band of vigilantes to try to rescue her daughter from a state-run institution. Well, that's a pretty succinct description of what it all is. The whole thing opens on a mom and daughter in the woods running from something we don't know. Then the daughter gets injured and they have to go into town to get help. And that's when we realize that children are being stolen. And if this sounds familiar to any indigenous people, it should, because it happened to my grandpa. Probably happened to some of your relatives too, right? The The daughter's injuries are so such that she, the mom decides to turn her over to this entity where she can be healed and in the meantime we we meet this cast of characters it's very dystopian you know it builds this world of people inside a wall and people outside a wall and then there's people that are out in the forest that we meet and they are kind of an insurrectionist bit and they talk the mother into helping them save the children that are behind the walls because they think that she is a prophet is it a prophet is that a good term for it
2: well the guardian is what they called her. The guardian. Yeah. And so the prophecy was, you know, the the stories that, that was told about the giant mosquitoes who would come and then there would be a guardian who would come to save save the people from the north. The guardian from the north would come to save the people.
0: So this production is Canadian, as we all know, Canada's is- got a nice film program, I guess, that helps support indigenous filmmakers. And it is the first film of Danis Goulet. Uh, Tully, are you familiar with Danis at all?
2: I'm not familiar with her at all. Um, I may have talked to her. I met her like way back in the day, but I don't have any recollection. I know she used to run uh, Imaginative, right? She used to be a part yes. of that and so that's kind of like to extent so I probably got an email from her or something at one point in my life claim <laughs> <laughs> <came> to fame <laughs> <laughs> she has made short films though I believe so oh is that what it is okay yeah yeah she had made a few short films and uh, one of them was like a got a lot of buzz and it was a, it was a sci-fi one and, and I don't remember what it's called and um, it's on YouTube if you want to look for it and it's done in like the Cree language. And the, one of her discussions but you know, she had a lot of pushback on it, on using the language. When, and she would say, well, you know, you guys use alien Whenever you have aliens that use a fake language and then you put the subtitles underneath, you have no problem with that. But then when I start using the Cree language, then all of a sudden you guys have issues. So those are kind of things that, that I recall. from
0: yeah. Her. Yeah. Interesting. Good for her.
2: And the movie that she did that got the biggest buzz was a short film called Awakening. And it's like, it's a kind of like same kind of idea. The environment has been destroyed and society suffocates under a brutal military occupation. Lone Cree wanderer Wasakachak searches an urban war zone to find an ancient dangerous Witingo to help fight against the occupiers. An ancient dangerous what? Witingo. like... Uh, it's kind of like uh like i'm assuming it's kind of like Windigo is how i heard it but that might be how they say it there and i might even be butchering the word oh okay spirit we tingo is a traditional is what it says it's a cannibal spirit a cannibal spirit
0: yeah oh okay
2: it looks like she's done a lot of
0: casting that makes sense i mean there were some really i think well cast parts in this i think the actors were really good i was very surprised to see amanda Plummer. i'm not sure if you all are familiar with her guess guess not <laughs> she always plays the kind of she always plays the quirky person
2: well her, really her big know. roles were probably like pulp fiction right that was her yes. at the beginning of Pulp Fiction. Pulp and fiction. then she was also in the movie we talked about it was uh about the holy grail she was the love interest with robin williams oh fisher king yeah was that her yeah so yeah so
1: i think she was in hunger games too right
2: and uh, let's see i did not know
1: when was hunger games oh yeah
0: (laughs) catching fire she was uh wireless. yeah so yeah she she always comes through with some kind of quirky quirky characters is she related to christopher Plummer, or is that a different
2: Plumber. I'm sure she is they usually are, aren't they
0: oh yeah it's 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 the daughter she's the daughter of yeah. him the first time I watched this I really really liked it I and I don't I don't know why it struck me so well I mean probably because I do like the the Hunger Games and the dystopian stuff and it was kind of like a stew of all of the things that I like in sci-fi plus some indigenous stuff the second time I watched it I could see some issues. I don't know. Anybody want to chime in on what they liked about this movie?
1: I was going to say like, like from like the first speaker or the words, we knew that they would come for us. Like they always had before we tried to warn the others that they would come for them too because we knew how far they would go, like, just, like, those words alone, it just, like, automatically made me think of, like, invasion, and assimilation, and just, like, war, Um, like, you're under attack, and you're, uh, it just, like, struck me that it was, like, kind of, I knew it was Indigenous, but, like, the similarities in the show in the movie they talk about like this federal academy that these young kids go to at age four and we know like the like residential schools that young kids were taken at that age to go off somewhere and they're that to me was like the 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 strongest similarity in the story is that they're saying oh like these these kids will be better off somewhere else where they have food where they have a place to sleep and where they'll be taken care of they'll have a better life and it's just like made me think of like what were our relatives told whenever their children were taken and far away and it's like but we get a glimpse of that when it's like these girls are in cages like literal cages inside of cages like they have wires around their beds and then they're locked in and it's just for militarization for this Emerson, and then I think it, her name's Roberta, the actress we was talking about. She said they have food delivering drones to us. They try to kill us in the war. Now they try to feed us. It just reminded me of like commodities that. Like the government would send and everything, and it's just like, oh, now you want to feed us and take (laughs) care of us. (laughs) Why should we trust you? I found it interesting that they they didn't limit
0: the children being taken to just Indigenous. They were children of all of everybody, Mm -hmm. which I found interesting and a nice touch. I I I don't know how I feel about uh, what was what was her character's name again? Rachel? Roberta? Roberta. I don't know how I felt about what happens with Roberta's son. In what way? I was just really surprised that he took up arms against her.
1: Yeah.
2: I
0: don't I don't know of any instances and I mean maybe there are instances of where that happened with our people with indigenous people.
2: I mean there are the stories of when the cavalry would hire Indians as scouts to find other Indians who are out hiding out, and specifically Geronimo, right? You know, if you ever watched the old Oh Geronimo movie, you know, one of the, to give away a movie that's 100 years old is like <laughs> when Geronimo, when uh, they're out trying to find Geronimo, there's a scout who's helping them find him, and then at the end of the movie when they catch Geronimo and taking him out to Fort Sill, he's in the same prison boxcar with. The scout that was trying to find them, and so there's that kind of story that happens. So there is that possible connection. The idea of like you know being brainwashed and told that certain group of people are filthy or terrible, and and on a lower level, you know, you you, you have people who have been assimilated, or vice versa. Whenever we talk about the urban Indian, who's like, oh, those urban Indians are not real Indians, you know, and there's that kind of thing. And we always say we link that with our colonialism uh, brainwashing. Yeah I still don't understand why he had to kill her.
1: I think maybe it felt like they were trying to say like these kids get brainwashed and like there was that girl that got taken and she had like these suction things on her neck like these red spots and you see at one point like there's like a kid that had tubes in in his head like kind of like brainwashing so maybe it was like he didn't know her because he was brainwashed and he like was like starting to recognize her, but then whatnot. I think he was probably like changing his mind about it is the way it felt to me.
2: I guess you could say it was a bit of a stretch because it, it really wasn't developed enough so that we could say what exactly happened, what exactly was going on. Why did, did he turn so easily on his mother?
0: Yeah, I, I think I felt like there should have been either leave it in and give give more conflict within his character I mean, it all happened pretty quickly.
2: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why it was there. Yeah. And it didn't develop that idea, really. And maybe if we saw that develop with one of the characters, or even that character, we saw him develop as he becomes more of a whatever, whatever those bad people, what were the bad people called? I mean, what they were called, Jingos. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, the jingos, And so we get to see them be brainwashed to become that kind of person and then we see you know maybe another character who does similar things where they find their their people's hiding places and, and catch them and those kind of things or even we just see that they're they're community people who have been changed so that maybe,
0: yeah maybe that's what I'm missing is it is that I think I could have spent less time out in the woods with the resistance and more time figuring out those conflicts about what changes them, what assimilates them in that fight for survival. Cause that was pretty, I mean, you know, she saw the video, she got mad and then her mom shows up and says, she's sorry. And then she's okay with it.
2: Yeah. I thought that too was kind of, that part was kind of, you know, problematic for me because I would have liked to have seen there more of that conflict of this interaction of having to, what would, what would happen if she, her daughter didn't want to go with her. Right. I didn't think she would, would. Yeah. And so would the mother have to like just grab her and kidnap her or you know if that would be kind of the interesting interesting thing to see and it, as the character is in her negative space as she's starting to become con- connected that's when she starts realizing her power and who she is and what she is and because that we don't be-
0: really see her power develop i mean it's mm-hmm. kind of hinted at with the, the bird she's whispering but what do you think marley
1: I think that like um it was very like I felt like it was manipulative for them to kind of like show her to like get a response out of her cuz like you can see like in the beginning she's like she's not saying the pledge she's like like ha- half doing everything like am just like cuz she kind of is like still resisting what they're doing and then she's like she has a map of like she's trying to escape and she does escape and then they're like oh like why are you trying to escape did you have help and then they're like going to show you this video your mom didn't want you she turned you in and then like after that then that's she like she's holding in her like anger and then she like lets it loose on the other girl and they're just like standing by and because they because they want her to be a soldier they want her to do what she what they tell her to do and then yeah like whenever her mom comes I thought her mom was going to like give an apology or some sort of explanation like like you were sick, I couldn't help you type of thing. Whenever it came down to it, it's like, well, that happened, but let's move forward. Like, do you want to come with me type of thing. And I guess that was an interesting kind of thing for me because it's just like, yes, we know this happened, but where are we going now? It's like, this is what, this is what's where our path is now. And so And of course, like they're breaking her out, and so they only have so much time.
2: And that would have been like a feasible thing because the reality is, she probably would have died. I mean, that was a trap that pretty much nearly cut her leg off. I mean, I'm scared of those things whenever I mess with them. You know, (laughs) when you lay out a trap, even those little squirrel traps, you know, (laughs) they get your finger, man. They'll break that finger.
0: So we've talked about the difference between native storytelling and Western storytelling, and I'm not as familiar with Cree Métis and how they tell stories. So I'm wondering if the brevity for some of this stuff was just because that's the way they tell stories. Anybody more familiar with that group of people? No, I'm
2: not. And that may be a possibility too, because sometimes there are stories where it's simply like, all right, let's go. And they go, (laughs) you know, there's like not a lot of issues or conflict that happens within it.
0: Because the rest of it was pretty westernized. I mean, it, it followed a pretty, it bordered on being a stew of those kinds of movies when I watched it the second time. The guy that was giving her the passport to get into the city was also kind of a dead-end storyline. I wasn't quite sure what that was doing in there on the second watching. And then they show up with a virus on top of everything else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, haven't we been through enough?
2: (laughs) I understand like on an indigenous point, point of view of the virus. Like, I mean, as a storytelling device, if we took out the virus, we'd still have the story, right? Because even when reading like uh, Jason's review, he doesn't even mention the virus. And I'm sure like if we went through like all the reviews, they probably don't even talk about the virus because it was a non-necessary event but the reason you know but you think the reason why we did it was because when the colonizer came over they brought their diseases and their sicknesses and that's what kind of knocked us out the other thought i had too is like we really don't know we really don't get a sense of who the government agency is to understand what exactly they want or what exactly they're doing and speaking in western perspective you know we don't know who our main bad guy is really i mean like if there was a bad person's quote-unquote antagonist, I guess we call it, it would probably be like the schoolmarm who was a pretty like frightening kind of person. And I think we needed some kind of personification for the overall, for Niska's character to have something that she's to force for her to have against, as opposed to just the overall government entity, which is like a big fight, because my thought too was like, all right, they told him to go away, And they got all the drones flying around them now, but is that really going to protect them in the future? Which is kind of what happened with Indians, right? With our indigenous people, you know, we, we sent them away, but they kept coming back, you know, we bought them, but they kept coming back. So it wasn't really a happy ending for me either.
0: You know. Well, and that one guy comes out and says that as long as we have land, they'll keep coming at us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's kind of where I felt too. It's like that first quote, like, because we knew how far they would go. Like they took the children. I think like it was like for the virus to me, they like the food that they were given them, they were like basically like packaged meals and just think of commods like, you know, commods gave us like diabetes and like we have heart problems, don't have access to fresh food. And you see all these drones delivering these small packages is that these are what these people who are living on outside of the wall are relying on for food. But and then you see Our uh, Nishka, she's like giving people berries, like she's giving them fresh fruit. (laughs) And so uh, I thought that was interesting. She is a berry picker (laughs) in a sense, but it is fresh. um, But it's just like poisoning, they mentioned like poisoning them uh, in the food. And then, of course, like over time, not having the nutrition. And then, of course, like they have mining near these places. They said, like, oh, their mining expanded, like it's getting closer to our, our village and the encampment now. So I felt like we know who the bad guys are is the people who stole our children, who are trying to take away our future in a sense. They want them to be with them not us they say like one language under god when like given everything like their pledges because like in the main girl she speaks cree and she's able to understand and she like these are not machines to her they're like mosquitoes they're alive beings and like we saw that it's like you can hear him breathing like he's not dead or whatnot and then it wakes up to her which is kind of interesting that she was able to in a, she she's able to communicate with them
2: as i interpreted it was like she can understand and listen to just about everything right cuz she was like i'm listening to the bird and it, i was assuming she was having a, an understanding of what the bird was saying at the very beginning then like with these big machines she was able to now communicate with them and have them do what she asked them to do and what that means overall is, is she going to be able to control like the oil company machinery and be able to, you know, I don't know if they ever planned to make just like a trilogy or anything, but. No, why a, don't we,
0: why don't we explore that? So also in our podcast, we've discussed the tendency for native filmmakers to just kind of dump all of the trauma and all of the things we have issues with into one film and I think that this is a prime example of that because we do have the residential schools we do have the water being you know infected we do have land being taken away language being taken away all of this stuff and you know does it does the film suffer I think we need to come up with a term for this this dumping of traumas into you know all of the bones we have to pick with colonizers all in one go, and does that yeah. delete the the message that you're trying to
2: to send in the film, or is it just colonists are bad? I think like uh, in mainstream storytelling, they say you got to streamline what you're trying to get across because if you put in too much, you're going to overburden the the viewer of the of the movie because they're saying now it's become a a issue movie right where you're just talking about issues where instead of telling us a good story and like uh, alan moore who was a comic book writer would say if i wanted to give you a message it'd be easier if i just wrote it down on a piece of paper and said this is my message no i want to tell you a story and i'm hoping that message is in there if you get it it's great if you don't that's great too because the overall thing i want to do is tell you a great story and so that might be a part of the part of the things that you know people have might have may have issues with in in this in this movie so
0: yeah should we call them issue movies i mean we we talked about the the pilot of reservation dogs being a little bit of an issue movie in Mm -hmm. that he threw in everything but the kitchen sink about you know oh my grandmother was native or uh what were some of the other jokes but it was kind of all of those things and issues episode
2: yeah uh what do you what do you think
0: huh Teepee cleaning. How's teepee cleaning?
2: <laughs> <laughs> teepee cleaning movie. <laughs> so we got to cleanse everything and get it all out. And this is her first movie. And that's the thing we talk about too, is like our first movies, we're always throwing all that junk in there because we think, God, we, we've got to tell this now and it's, it's, it's our chance too. So let's just let it all go out.
1: I think like maybe we see a lot of these themes reoccurring because we see them also reoccurring <laughs> in like life and it's also like it's current too it's the residential schools is going on right now we're uncovering graves bringing up that topic of discussion it's Like, let's talk about this it's like how do we talk about this well let's put it in a movie let's put it in a movie and let's address these things and say this is what's wrong this is what we should not do and how can we be better? Um, it's like they say, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it or whatnot. But it's also good to face our demons or our, our traumas because also I don't feel like nowadays we're like everything is so overstimulated. Like maybe we should take the time to think about these things and address them, talk about them so that we can heal from them. I think the movie is mostly just like a story of a mother who's trying to keep her daughter safe who is like they said like oh she's she was 11 when she got taken and like they thought she was going to be younger it's like no she's like you kept her alive for that long out on your own living off the land and so we see like this old style old way of living and then they they were that um they were like that for a long time they I think until they probably would have been safe in the bush until the mosquito came and they shot down, and then they had to burn their home and then go in town because she got infected. And the, but like these small changes made a difference. Otherwise, the the Cree people at the encampment they would have had maybe come under gunfire from the federal academy or like the officers and then all those children still would have been taken but they were able to free them they were able to save them and they like made a little bit of difference we don't know what happens in the future but we know like this is a starting point like she's able to tell the officers to leave and they get to live to fight for another day and maybe that's just it it's just that like little bit of hope that something can change in the future i like that a lot i like that a lot
0: although it does one of the things that bugs me about native films is the mystic indian and here we are with the mystic indian so that's one of my least favorite tropes and i mean to your point i think that this is an important film because it we're we're in the genre films we're past the creator stories and the history stories And now we're moving into genres, which we did with Blood Quantum, which, you know, we're starting to become more, I don't want to say more mainstream, but it's a genre film. And I think that that's a really important step forward for Native cinema, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. And I think one interesting thing about it, too, was like, you know, it kind of twisted a little bit because, you know, at first we think Niska is going to be the savior Indian and then we re- realize it's the daughter and it's Niska who's actually ha- going to have to protect the guardian. And I think it has to develop that, like you said, that, what do you call it, character art for uh, Wasisi to, to get us to, to see that she's how she's becoming this quote unquote magic person, as you say. And, and so that, you know, because to me, what would have been interesting is if, sh- if she was able to speak to the machines because when she cut her leg, they had to put a device that was a mechanical device. So instead of it just being, you know, a a magical person, it would be actually based on the computer algorithms that she was able to connect with and be able to connect through the mechanical thing. And so she'll still be the magical Indian, but it'll have a scientific kind of, uh, what do you call it, kind of connection to it. And so it will be a twist on the whole idea of the magical Indian. And then that would explain how she could hear and talk to these drones.
0: Yeah, and see, I would have liked that. I would have liked to have seen something that was a little more scientific than mystical Indian.
2: <laughs> I also wondered, yeah. well, not I, to like say this movie was, you know, not to say anything about this movie, but I also wondered who is the audience for. Who do you guys think the audience, this audience for this movie is? Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because because my secondary question is like i don't like i didn't read the reviews of this movie of, of like non-native people's reviews ex- except i saw like a blurb of one of how someone was comparing it to ya uh science fiction movies and saying there was That's, too much of a,
0: a YA. YA, yeah
2: yeah and and they were like it, it's too much of the same nothing new nothing different and then i wanted to scream and say but it's talking about boarding schools and it's talking about some real shit and i'm wondering if for like the non-native person does that go over their head that they're not even realizing what this is because it's not really again you know we're having all the issues that we're talking about that we know about but is it really connecting with a non non non-indigenous audience and should it does it need to
1: I think it should um I think that's kind of like we see that with with Rhonda with her son she I feel like her character struggles with the loss of her son and she's like telling herself that he's better off with going to the academy that he's a pilot now that he can have all these things that I could never give him but then um, Niska she tells him like well you'll never see him that was her struggle um with sending her daughter to get medical treatment. Um, I think that like that could relate to a lot of people's like adoption or like, well, not just like native adoption, but like struggling parents, people who's like, oh, like I should give them up for adoption or I should do this or do that because they'll have a better life. But you don't like you see that loss with his mother and then like they get confronted later on. And there's a struggle there. What do y'all think?
0: I think that it's harder for non-Native audiences to have the context for this if they're not up on current current affairs. Yeah. You know, is it is it a popcorn movie that happens to deal with these issues or is it an indie film trying to drive home a point? Is it, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of murky to me. As to who it would address, it means a lot to us just because we know the history of all of this stuff. But you know, like with reservation dogs, we found a non-native to interview just to see what her reaction was. So it, it actually it would be kind of interesting to see what a non-native reaction to this would be if they would even finish the movie. Not to sound harsh, but they might have gotten bored with it and decided, especially when they started speaking in Cree and singing their songs some non-natives might have just tapped out at that point well i did years. read i did go back and read all of the non-native reviews and i can assure you that they didn't get it
2: mm-hmm.
0: they were just saying that it was too much copy and paste of other dystopian movies not understanding the tie-in with historical events i will say that i think it was really really well cast
1: i think so too i did like them using the kree language in like, like like there wasn't always like a subtitle or a caption for something it's like they would translate it like this is what they said this is what they mean and I thought it was just like her power came from like her language because that's what she was using I think it's just like a, an interesting and inspiring notion like there's power in our language like then just like the English English language that we have words for stuff what I can think of in Navajo is like navajo cool talkers and everything like they use their language to help fight win wars and so she was using her language for her people and to help save them
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but but why couldn't she speak
0: it we never found out what do you mean she understood it but she couldn't talk that was that came up
1: when they were by the fire i think or in the trailer like the mom nishka yes i think she said she could understand a little bit but like her daughter knew some I don't know I mean I'm probably similar to her around um I'm, I'm a mother age and I don't know my language all that much either but I can understand some words but like what we do know we can pass on
0: all my creek friends always taught me the bad words when I worked at IHS
1: <laughs> everybody knows the bad words <laughs> That's what I learned first too <laughs>
0: So I'm just flipping through like the trivia, and it says that it was inspired by Children of Men. And, yeah, I can and, feel that. yeah.
2: And, and I think even was, Jason remarked on that too.
0: Oh, really? I didn't get that far in his yeah. uh, review. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> oh, there it is. Last paragraph. <laughs> and that the other trivia on here is that it opened in Canada in 80 locations, which was the widest theatrical release for an indigenous film but it didn't do very well because elevation pictures didn't do a lot of marketing for it is what's on imdb so it also came out during
2: covid which you know which sucks for them
0: oh oh my gosh how how how's that i keep forgetting about covid but i was very surprised at all of the uh kiwis and all the like new zealand and
2: well we didn't talk about that it's produced by taika waititi oh what Yeah. He, he, did he produce it? He did. He had his name on it. Really?
1: Yeah. I think he was executive producer. And then um, the character who was supposed to look after her, he was doing the hookah dance. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's executive
0: producer.
2: So the assumption is that that was the influence of having that guy in. All
1: right. And
0: I will say once again, props to the art department for building that world. When they came up on the city and went into that house and everything, I was like, oh, these guys worked hard to make this look good.
2: What was the budget? Does it say what the budget is? Let me see. Uh,
0: I just, you know, I have so much love for the art department for reservation dogs. Big props to them here. I don't know. What else did, what else did everybody else like while I'm looking up the budget?
1: I was thinking it was interesting that she chose not to shoot the bird at the beginning that she aimed, she was like talking to it, but she decided against it. And also I thought in the beginning, like she's talking about werewolves and vampires. And I'm like, is this gonna be, are there gonna be werewolves in this? Are they gonna be vampires? She's like talking to her mom, like, what's the difference? <laughs> mom's really going into explanation as they're talking. <laughs> i was like hmm.
2: what did that mean then? If 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 it was brought up, what was the significance of it?
1: Um I don't know. I was kind of just thinking like maybe it's just like a kid being a kid. You know, mm-hmm. just like, oh, what's this? And like, what's this? And know, just asking all kinds of questions. Like, why is this? Why is
2: that? Yeah, because, um, I mean, you know, they're, they're European concepts. To say they're both the same is kind of, to me, it would probably be saying something like about colonization, right? They're all the same. It, it doesn't matter what you want to call them, you know, if you want to call them, you, you know. And that, I mean, that I mean, if we try to look at a deep, deep look at it, they're still going to try to kill you.
1: <laughs> yeah i think that's what her mom says like um oh i think it's the difference of like like how how you kill them is the difference
2: <laughs> oh she said how you kill them okay uh-huh. did you find out the budget
0: i had to reset my imdb pro password uh-huh. i had to reset it to okay now you can't sign in with my account.
1: <laughs>
2: anything else marley
1: it didn't seem like nishko was really into that guy like it's post-apocalyptic boyfriend like it's like maybe he's around he's okay like she just talks to him sometimes mm-hmm. i don't know i just got that vibe she's like ah, i'm tired i'm going go home now and he's like trying to all talk to her
0: see that's why i didn't understand why that was included in that in the plot
1: maybe he was the white savior like I'm gonna get you to safety and but he didn't like really care what things were gonna be like he was ready to leave it all behind and just go be somewhere better and I think that wasn't so much like maybe her mentality like she could have gone over to Emerson but her main focus was like her daughter and like she went and visited her school it seemed like almost like every day or every other day and she mourned for her she like took her I think it was an otter and you could see like all these belongings of children hanging outside the gate of this academy of like I don't know that that part was really heartbreaking to me to like these some of these parents and most of them probably never seen their kids again Roberta didn't wasn't gonna see him again and then she did as they was trying to leave
2: and so again, same with the disease. If we took that character out, would we lose any of the story No. Yeah, because my thought when I was watching it was a he was either going to be the bad guy who was leading them to the bad people, or B, he would make it over there, and they would find a way to get over there. And it was gonna be like, just as bad or terrible, he'd be murdered or whatever, almost kind of like a Soylent Green or something. Where, oh
0: that would have been good if we'd seen what was actually on the other side of the wall and seen that it was not as great as everybody thought it would be or he could have not been the white savior and gone and, and joined them for their fight been an ally,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> ally.
0: <laughs> i it's not showing what the um, budget was in here at all
2: that's okay it wasn't steven spielberg budget that's all we know it was an avatar budget
0: <laughs> shoot no I mean, do you see it on the screen anywhere? Do they have to disclose that? I don't
2: think they have to. I mean, what they disclose is usually sometimes not what it actually costs. Also,
0: it won some awards, Canadian Screen Awards, original screenplay, performance by an actress, sound mixing, makeup, all good things. Any final thoughts?
1: I thought it was interesting that um, like the main leader handed over the charging role to the other young leader i wish i knew their names okay the the one who gave her food the one that was like around all the time she's like this is your fight now kind of type of thing is what it seems like and it's like she's like we need you and she's like no like you can do this and so like she believed in her and it's like warrior up Mm -hmm. so uh, i thought that was interesting that it was handed off and it's like this is your fight now like the younger generation
0: well and I've been a fan of Gail Maurice. Gail Maurice is the actress who played, she's been in a bunch of Canadian films, Canadian indigenous films, and I've always enjoyed her performances. So I don't know if it was symbolic in that she, you know, passing the baton to the next generation of filmmakers or something like that. But I thought
2: that was a really lovely moment. Totally. Overall, I thought it was a good movie. I mean, it was interesting like so like on a level of like discuss having a way of discussing the uh boarding school issues i thought it was really well done really interesting and really really had a lot of good points to it a lot of good ideas and good concepts you know there were some you know possible missteps within it but i think overall it was you know it was entertaining enough and i think the main takeaway like you said is like you know a you know you it's the thing that we want is that we want to see our our Indigenous peoples be playing in movies that are genre driven and don't have to just be braided and in and, and what is it, braided in buckskin? Braided or and shaded.
0: Braided and <laughs> shaded. And, Leather and, and feather.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's a step, you know, it's a step to get there. And and we have to take these steps. And I think it's important and like, you know, to know that, you know. The other, the other thing I didn't talk about with Dennis Escalay is, like, she was on that that TV show Trickster. And oh, really? She, yeah. And when she found out that the the creator of the show was a, quote, unquote, pretendian, she walked away from the show. And so she did not want to deal with it because she knew what problems it would be. And so that's a really interesting way. And, like, you know, Elamaya is, like, a filmmaker herself as well as an actor and so she's, you know, done a lot of great work and things like that. She's done documentaries and those kind of things. And her family is, she's a family of activists. Both her parents were activists. And so, you know, and so you have this, this activist tradition. So they are telling these activist stories. So it was, yeah, it was good. It was great. And I think it, Like I said, I think it's a good step and a good good way to get us to see more of our our movies be made and and hope they don't like, you know, say that because it didn't hit the box office the way it should have that they don't pay for anymore. And we'll hope they remember like this was COVID times. And so there was limited release even here in Tulsa. I think it was only out for like two weeks and I didn't get to make it over there. I think it's a good movie mostly.
0: Yeah, like I said, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is great. I really liked it. And it wasn't until I, you know, started looking at it with a more critical eye that I was like, oh, why, why are they sick? Oh, who is this guy? There's that need for killing, you know, quote unquote, killing the baby when you're making films. And, you know, I'm a big fan of editing baby those of things out. I am, I am. You're baby I like killer. It. I am. I like <laughs> it. my, my stories to be lean and mean, but overall, I really, really liked it. I, I was surprised. I didn't know anything about it going into it, but I was surprised at how much I liked it, how well it was done, how great the performances were. The world building was really great. You know, there was a lot of CGI in there and I thought it was really well done. You know, you could get all kinds of sloppy on those CGI's, but I think that, that, it, that it worked seamlessly with the story. I just, I really liked it. I'm glad that, I'm glad it was
1: made. I really liked it too. I think It was kind of like one of those things, like, well, what if the natives win? And it's like, and that's kind of like where I saw at the end of it. It's like the natives got the chance. I liked that part. Um, Instead of them, we see them beaten or shot at by the officers and the policemen and everything. Well,
0: Marley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I think next time you need to pick the film and then we'll get together and visit about your
1: film. Okay. Does that to be an Indigenous film? Indigenous film? We, yes.
2: do,
0: we do look at representation. I mean, we've done Thunderheart. We talked about Rutherford Falls.
1: All right. I'll think about think it. About it. Yeah, yeah, think about I'll, it. i think it's a good one. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I was a good guest. <laughs> oh, you were a great hey, guest.
2: <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Marley. We appreciate it. It's fun talking to talk to be with you.
1: Yes. I look forward to being a reoccurring...
0: and we want to thank our listeners for tuning in and reminding you to please rate and review apparently that's something we're supposed to ask y'all to do so (laughs) we have one we had one review last week and we were all excited and then we had to make sure that none of us did the review
1: (laughs) hey i looked it out y'all have five stars on apple Podcasts. (laughs) yeah
0: So we hope you'll tune in next time on Real Indigenous, where we talk about all things Indigenous on the screen and everything in between. And we'll catch you next time, Kiana Puck, for tuning in.